Why is God so angry? Isn't the Bible full of contradictions? How could God allow so much science just proves the Bible? Good. How can the how Bible can say the earth was created in six days? How can the Bible say the earth was created in six days? This is an interesting time to live in Duncan, uh, to live in the Couchin Valley. Um, this last year, uh, Jen taught at, at Couchin High School uh, at Cow High, and uh, it's, it's just kind of a decrepit building. It's broken down, it, it's old, it's falling apart. There's not a whole lot of pride in, in that building, and, and, and really it's a sad place to be. But um, we know, in fact, even just the other day I drove by and I saw the sign actually making it official in some ways that sure enough, they're building a new high school. They've got the land and, uh, and a friend of mine is, is on a committee working on the designs. And he's telling me some of the updates uh, as to the, the new high school that's coming. And so uh, even while things look pretty bleak right now in that high school, there is hope for something better in the future. Uh, it's similar uh, in town here with the hospital. A couple of Christmases ago, my father-in-law came over and had a gallbladder attack. And um, so we brought him to the hospital on Christmas Eve, and sure enough, fitting on Christmas, there was no room in the inn, uh, there was no space, and so he ended up in sort of a hallway, tucked behind a curtain. Uh, it, was, it was sad. Um, the paint is coming off the walls, and there was no trim, and it just seemed like a sad, the hospital is a sad, a sad spot. It's an old building that's falling apart, but Thankfully, we know that the new one is coming. They're building a new hospital. And again, I know someone who's working on that committee of, of designing and, and getting ready to build this new hospital. And so, so while things in those two really important institutions right now are rather sad and bleak, there is hope that's coming. As we find ourselves working chronologically through the Old Testament, we come to a place that uh, it's pretty bleak in Israel. It's pretty bleak right now that there's apostasy and there's these mighty nations that are really starting to apply pressure to the people. And there's got to be this dark, deep sense of hopelessness and despair. And so Isaiah is writing in that time. So the northern tribe has split, right? So you've got the split between the north and the south. And the northern tribes have actually been conquered and taken away by Assyria. And so you have these two small tribes in the south known as Judah, all on their own. They're isolated. And, and, and they've, they've overcome sort of the Assyrians, but now they're feeling the pressure of mighty Babylon coming on them. And they feel adrift. And, and while they do have this, this city, uh, this Jerusalem, which they're so proud of, and a temple, and there's the sacrificial systems. Things are looking really, really bad for them. Things are going poorly. And Isaiah is writing in the midst of that. And he begins uh, in, in, in one of the most important real pieces of the Bible. He begins to unveil that there is hope. There is hope in the future, even though things seem bleak right now. And he, and he sort of launches into that hope in, in a passage you're probably familiar with in Isaiah chapter 9. In the midst of that bleakness, here's what Isaiah prophesies. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government should be upon his shoulders, and his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end in the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So 
Isaiah is prophesying of Messiah. And so here we really see the beginning of this expectation that there is going to be a Messiah, that things are bleak right now, but God will send a deliverer. And he begins to expand on that a bit more in what are known as the, the servant songs. He begins to sort of paint a picture of who this Messiah will be, which is so important and crucial for us, because remember, this is written hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, and, and we're just going to skim across these four really key passages where he, he talks about the, the servant, the servant servant song here. Um, so 42, uh, we've got 42 verse 1. Behold my servant who I am uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. So we see this Messiah is one in whom um, God ordains, he elects, his spirit is in him. There's justice to the nations. And so he starts to paint this picture of who the Messiah is going to be. Uh, then in 49, uh, verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And so we see the fulfillment of these promises to Abraham that are going to be unveiled, that are going to be realized in this servant, in this Messiah, this coming one. Uh, skipping ahead to 50, verse 6. I gave, and this is again talking now about the suffering servant and who this is going to be, the Messiah. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheek to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. So here we have this Messiah who's actually going to be abused. And then most famously of all in these servant songs is Isaiah 53, uh, a little more at length here. Uh, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from, men from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, and then he continues on, he made a grave with this wicked and with the rich man in his death. And, and it, it, it's really this, this, this narrative that's talking all about Jesus that he will be pure and righteous and also a substitute. And what we see here in the sir, suffering servant, this Messiah, is that they're going to be a new Moses, that they're a new Moses who will lead their people out of struggle, out of slavery. The, the, new, the servant is also going to be a new Abraham who's ushering in the, 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 this ultimate covenant of, of bringing in all of the nations, that all of the world will be blessed. So a true and better Moses, a true and better Abraham, um, and in this context where this, this comes out, um, it really comes in the midst of these covenants. So we've talked about covenants before, that this, this uh, contract between God and Israel and their stipulations and blessings and, and with disobedience there comes curses. And we see all through the prophets this warning of, hey, you're breaking the covenant and the curses are uh, that you're going to be in exile, that you're going to lose this land that was promised to you, that, that you'll be separated. And, and these curses are keep being warned. 
And, and here's a quote that I came across this week, which said, the covenantal law demands punishment. So Israel broke the covenant, which means that they deserved punishment. But punishment, in this case, would mean annihilation of what God had created. The promise was to Abraham that through his lineage, through Israel, the whole nations of the world would be blessed. And so how was this going to happen? How was the, the demands of the covenant going to be fulfilled? And there would be the, these consequences of disobedience, but also not wipe out that which God had already started. And the answer is that God would send a servant. He would send a Messiah who would take the punishment, who would take uh, sort of these negative aspects of the covenant, that he would take the suffering upon himself, that he would be cut off and take the curse on behalf of the people so that God didn't have to wipe the people out. And so we see here with this, you know, the servant who, who was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our, our iniquities, it appears that it looks like an act of injustice, but actually it's, it's love satisfying the demands of justice. And we look at who this servant is. Who is this suffering servant, this long-awaited Messiah? We see in other, other places in the Bible, first of all, that there would be a descendant of David. We see that in 2 Samuel, uh, and so it would have to come out of the tribe of David. And Jesus, sure enough, was born in Bethlehem to the tribe of David. And, and, and there's actually a prophecy in Micah that the Messiah would actually be born in Bethlehem. Jesus, remember, was uh, 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 from the town of Nazareth, but they traveled to Bethlehem. Uh, in order for him to be born because the census, but also fulfilling this prophecy that Jesus is the suffering servant. Um, we also see really coolly in Zechariah that, that the Messiah will visit the temple. And we understand that the history and the chronology, uh, the temple is going to be destroyed and then rebuilt again by Herod. And so you've got this temple uh, which was built to sort of... Uh, just before sort of 0 AD, uh, but was destroyed again in 70, which means there's this window that the Messiah would have to come in because the temple hasn't, hasn't come about again. It's been destroyed since 70 AD, and now the, the Dome of the Rock, this, this Muslim uh, sacred space, sits in that place. And so the Messiah would have had to have been there before 70 AD. And, and so you've got all these pieces that begin pointing more and more to Jesus. You see Jesus as well, who spends time in exile in Egypt as Herod's chasing him. And he comes out of Egypt, back to Jerusalem, representing that Jesus is the true and better Israel, who then also goes through 40 days of wandering in the desert, but conquering the temptations of the evil one, who becomes, again, the true and better Israel. True and better Israel. True and better Abraham. True and better Moses. And we see here in the suffering servant passages that God is faithful to his promises and that he's faithful to uphold this covenant that he made with Abraham and, and with Noah and with David, but it doesn't rely on us. He takes the, the weight of those curses, the weight of that upon himself, that he takes the punishment in our place. So he upholds his own promises to us. And so what does this tell us about God's character? First, is we see that God is love. And there's a messiness to that. It's not a fluffy, sentimentality kind of a love, but rather that this commitment to faithfulness and commitment to us as people sacrificially. And that is what we mean when we say that God is love. We've seen his purposes that God will provide the sacrifice, just as he did with Abraham, where Abraham is told in faith to bring his son up and and in faith, he says, God will provide the sacrifice. And certainly, God did. In the same way as we look at our disobedience to the covenant, Israel's disobedience to the covenant, we see once again that God will provide the sacrifices, his servant, his Messiah, who will be pierced for our transgressions. 
And what does it mean about God's plans? I think it, it shows us, once again, that we are part of a much larger story. Isaiah was written hundreds of years before Jesus, but it's almost an account for account retelling of the crucifixion before crucifixion was even invented. So we are part of a much larger story, this meta-narrative that God is writing, that, that we fit into this very small piece, this very small timeline of the much larger story that God is writing. And hopefully that's an encouragement to you as well. Um, that it's the same story that Isaiah is writing that we are a part of, waiting for the, the day when once again this Messiah will return again for a second time and finally usher in the final kingdom with no more sin, no more suffering, no more death or rejection. We wait for that time. Let's pray. God, we, um, we thank you that you are this suffering servant who suffers in our place who takes the curses of the covenant upon yourself so that we can live in the blessings. Uh, thank you for this arc in history, uh, these small little bits of evidence that show that you are who you said you were and that your hand is at work in history. God, thank you for these words that you gave to Isaiah and that you are our Savior. We pray all this in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, hope that you're having a good week. Let us know if there's anything that we can do to help. Please reach out. Um, we, uh, we just want to walk alongside you as we walk towards Jesus together. Have a great day.